0: welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insight Podcast Series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC and each fortnight we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets and other topics of interest for institutional investors. And joining me this podcast as always is uh, Dr Matthew Peter, QIC's Chief Economist. Good morning, Matthew.
1: Good morning, Alison.
0: Joining you from Sydney today, and it's a beautiful day here, so it's nice that there's that uh, I think the rain's cleared. But enough of the weather. I wanted to chat about data. There has been an enormous amount of data released this week, including the federal budget, CPI. So I think it's probably worth chatting about those. But I did want to head overseas just for a second and chat about the US GDP result. That to me was surprisingly strong. We got a rebound, it was 2.6% annualised. That's kind of took me a little bit by surprise given where we've been at recently. But underlying that, we saw a really you know, whopping drop to housing investment, dwelling investment down 25%, which is perhaps a little bit of a nod to what's happening in Australia. We had the ECB lifting rates by 75 or three quarters of a cent, up to one and a half percent. So all of that must be putting some pressure on the Reserve Bank of Australia, I would have thought.
1: Yes, Alison, we've had had quite a bit of data out, you're right, and the US GDP result is, you know, it's pretty strong, 2.6%. Put that in perspective, Alison, that's almost a percentage point higher than probably their trend rate of growth at the moment. But one thing that has to be remembered in that is it's a bounce back from a very weak first half of the year. So GDP in the US, if you look at the level of GDP as opposed to the growth rate, that 2.6% was only just enough to bring the level of GDP back to where it was at the start of the year, so the question is really what what happens from here. And I think you pointed the way a little bit in that, you know, incredible housing investment result down by twenty five percent. You know, it's it's huge. And the outlook for the uh, the economy in the U.S. is starting to now show the effects of the higher interest rates and the high inflation rate. Consumer spending was was down, it was uh, below trend growth about one point four percent, I believe. And, and you've also seen weakness in the in the more timely monthly data about investment, where we've had one of the uh, key indicators of uh, investment in the US actually falling in the recent monthly data. So the outlook for the US is, is starting to weaken. Um, in terms of the ECB, there's a 75 basis point rate hike, and that's likely to be in the last meeting this week, and that's likely to be followed by another 50 basis point rate hike in their December meeting and probably around 25 basis points, we think, in February. They signalled in this meeting, the uh, ECB President, Christine Lagarde, signalled that it would the ECB would be starting to slow uh, the pace of rate hikes and they're reaching uh, close to their uh, peaks now. But nonetheless, you know, with the uh, central banks outside of Australia starting, continuing, I should say, to uh, keep pressure on rate hikes, it is putting pressure on the RBA, it's putting pressure on our on our dollar. And nonetheless, with the global economy, particularly the US and Europe slowing, that wheel looking forward potentially take some pressure off the RBA.
0: It's an interesting backdrop. Certainly the markets are seeing glimmers of hope. The equity markets, they are they really looking for that pivot and they are reading every word into that ECB sort of commentary associated with that release, um, looking a little bit hopeful that perhaps they are trying to sort of uh, temper that pace and we've certainly seen that in the US as well. But turning back to the Reserve Bank of Australia, I think that's really important for for the, a lot of our listeners. You know, in the inflation data this week was a real surprise. Again, CPI up over 7% beating expectations. Where are the pressures coming from underlying that?
1: Well, you've been calling this out for a while. Where the price pressure is coming from predominantly at the moment is food, which is up 9% year on year or over the year, and housing costs, which are up 10.5% over the year. And uh, Uh, And that's not surprising given what we're seeing with construction costs up 20%. And I know this is, uh, you've been on about this, (laughs) telling us about your visits to the supermarket. But when you look within food, you know, it's fruit and veg. Fruit and veg up 16% over the year. Dairy, 12%. Non-durables like detergents and dishwashing liquid up 12%. Bread and cereal up 10%. In fact, the the item that has risen by the least is meat and uh, seafood, but that's still up uh, 7%. So that's where the pressures are coming from. There are some items that are showing signs of weakness. Um, Clothing and footwear is down and transport was also down as the petrol price of the bowels started to come down. But nonetheless, you know, if you look at transport over the year, it's still up by about uh, 9%. So the pricing pressure is still there. It's predominantly food and housing.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, as I say, look, I shouldn't talk about my shopping basket the whole time, but it does it does hurt each week. It is expensive. So all of that's got to put a bit of pressure on the RBA. I mean, RBA sort of, in inverted commas, slowed its pace, you know, from its previous 50 basis point rate hike through to 25 at the last month, you know, at its last meeting. But do you think that's going to increase the, the pressure for it to do the jumbo hikes to try and sort of get that inflation a bit more under control?
1: Well, having the miss certainly puts pressure on the uh, RBA to do further tightening and the question is do they have to do the jumbos or not the inflation rate that we saw in the third quarter is probably still consistent with the rba's target rate of inflation at the end of the year of seven three quarters of percent in my opinion they don't need to jump yet away from the 25 basis point rate hike that they uh, initiated in last meeting of the, the rba i was critical of that that rise i thought they should have gone by 50 basis points again uh, at their last meeting, because that would have given them wiggle room if the the, uh, CPI came out a little bit less strongly than what was expected to go back to 25. But by staying at 25, it's hard for them, particularly when there's no strong evidence that the inflation rate's missing their their own forecasts. For them to all of a sudden change course and do 50 basis points at the at the meeting on Tuesday, if they were to do that, their fragile credibility, I think, would have, would be further weakened because they'd be sort of now saying, "Oh, well, we were sort of wrong with the 25 basis points we did last." last month we should have done 50 Mm. Um, we're going to do it now and i think for that reason alone they will stick with the 25 at least in this um, november meeting
0: i tend to agree i think they are very worried about their messaging and wanting to make sure they can keep a consistent path and and for those of us with mortgages it's a, a nice well reasonable relative relief not an absolute relief but a relative relief which is good you're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where Chief Economist Matthew Peter and I are talking through current economic events and, and the investment environment. The other big news this week, Matthew, is the budget. This must be a little bit like Christmas for an economist, I imagine. It's uh, all, all the news coming out at once. But, uh, you know, I thought in my view it was great that um, the government maintained its discipline. Look, it's, it's had some windfall gains from our mining royalties and, and exports. Look, it could have gone on a bit of a cash splash and given us a bit of a sugar hit, but it didn't. It's tried to be prudent. It's tried to be sensible. And I think from my perspective, at least, that's actually a really good thing. And perhaps potentially they took a few lessons from that terrible failed experiment of the, uh, the the UK government, the trust government sort of policies reversed very, very quickly. So I think all of that's quite positive. But interestingly, there hasn't really been any market reaction. Now, I guess potentially that could be a good thing. But what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yes, yeah, the government, uh, for a labour government in particular, really learned the lesson that was on full display in the UK where, you know, governments can't take on the markets and the central banks, I suppose. And in fact, off the $40 billion odd worth of windfall gain, they packed most of that away into paying off debt. In fact, they only spent about $1.6 billion of those windfall gains. And that brought down the expected budget deficit uh, for 2022-23 from what was going to be $78 billion down to uh, under $37 billion. So that has been received quite well, I think, and it was the obvious direction that the government had to go. And remembering this is effectively like a mini budget. So unlike the UK example, they they avoided having a rush of blood to the head and trying to implement too many changes. That will, They'll have to hold off that until the May budget next year and, and further on. The problem, though, that we've got with the budget now, what's been revealed in this last budget, is that whilst we've got, you know, an improvement in the budget uh, deficit, sort of halved basically, it's it's very sticky this deficit, so it doesn't improve from where we are now for a decade. So we were running now um, budget deficits of about two percent of GDP for the next ten years. So we're in this sort of trapped in this structural. Budget deficit for a decade, and the consequence of that is that instead of the government debt peaking out and then starting to come down, it just continues to rise over the for the next ten years without signs of abating. And importantly, with the federal government, it gets above 30 percent. The net debt as a percentage of GDP gets above 30 percent, which is a trigger point for ratings agencies to downgrade Australia's credit, sovereign credit rating, which is AAA. And we're one of the few countries in the world with a sovereign credit rating of AAA. So we do have what is unveiled in the, um, the budget is a longer term structural problem with the budget that uh, is unsustainable in terms of the debt. And that has to be addressed, and we really, we really don't have at the moment, Alison, strong policies or strong initiatives that will uh, meet the obligations of all that social spending that we're seeing required in in health energy aged care housing of course at the same time as being able to rein in that debt
0: yeah it's a bit, of, a, bit of a difficult fiscal quandary for the government but it was great to see some of those initiatives in relation to the social agenda I think the social housing initiative I think is a really positive and strong one but and also it, it's not to try and help productivity which is a way that we can try and work through this this quandary you know with the you know extension of the paid parental leave uh, for example In trying to sort of keep uh, people in the workforce. Uh, But again, time's got the best of us today, I think, uh, Matthew. But thank you very much for joining me, and thanks to our listeners as well for taking 10.